As you do, you can open your Bibles. Also read on the screen behind me our passage today. We continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. And what we find here in our text is Jesus is moving out of Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel, and he's moving into a predominantly Gentile uh, area. And, um, and so we begin our reading here at verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And then he returned from the region of Tyre and Sidon and went to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrata, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Father, we pray this morning that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you enable, enable our tongues to speak the praises that belong to you, that we would not only understand intellectually, but that you would change our hearts, that they would be set on you and the help that comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Everybody's heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. What we find out today is that, in fact, is not true, that God helps those who are helpless. God helps those who realize they're helpless, and they place their confidence in Christ to save. And so the first portion of this section about this Syrophoenician woman, we're going to be looking at Christ helping the helpless in a number of ways. We find, first of all, that Christ helps the least entitled to his help. That is, the least likely to expect help from Jesus is the one, in fact, that Jesus helps. Chapter 7, verse 24, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now, the region of Tyre and Sidon is to the north and to the west of uh, Galilee, the, the uppermost part of Israel. It was not part of Israel. It was not part of the Roman province, province of Judea. It was part of Syria. And uh, again, as I mentioned at the outset, it was a predominantly Gentile area, Gentile uh, not only in the population, but the culture 
was a Hellenistic culture, and there were Jews living in this area, but this was not their territory. And so, verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And so, Verse 26, she's called a a Gentile explicitly, and she's called a Syrophoenician, that is, a Phoenician from Syria as opposed to a Phoenician from Egypt. There were Phoenicians from Egypt, uh, so this was right on the coast there in what basically today would be Lebanon. That's where she was from. And so again, this this is not Jewish culture, this is not Jewish land, And uh, yet she begged him, verse 26, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Uh, We speak of entitlement in our day and age, and she was the least entitled to receive help from Jesus. She requested it from Jesus. Who might be the most likely to receive his help? You might think, well, the really spiritually religious people, the Jews of Jesus' day, maybe the, the punctilious Pharisees and the scribes and uh, maybe just rank-and-file people in Israel that would be very uh, God-fearing, or how about the disciples? And uh, in fact, when we go to this parallel account of this in the Gospel of Matthew, we find that the disciples, in their response to this woman, was tell her to get lost. She's bothering us, Jesus. And that probably would have included Matthew himself, right? And Matthew Uh, some of you will remember, was a tax collector, the bottom rung of Jewish society, and yet presumably he would say, this person is not worthy for for your time, uh, Jesus. Secondly, Christ helps those least able to help themselves. Mark 7, 25, she fell down at his feet, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. You know, the, the desperation of it. She cannot help herself. Listen to the description that we're going to uh, hear in a couple of weeks as we get to Mark chapter 9. This is verse 17 and following. This is what it was like to be possessed by a demon. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he had a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And they brought the boy to Jesus, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. This was an extremely serious situation for this woman. And Maybe you've been in a position where you have felt completely helpless, maybe helpless physically. There's nothing you can do. You've gone to all of the the experts. You've gone to all the specialists, and there seems to be nothing that can be done to help you in your situation. Or even worse, maybe you have a child, uh, and you can't help the child. You want to help the child, but you're you're completely powerless to do that. Your power is not enough. Story is told of a paratrooper. He was speaking to some aspiring recruits, and um, he finished his lecture. He finished his speech, his instruction to the to them, and he said, "Do any of you have any questions?" And one uh, young recruit raised his hand and he said, "Well, what made you decide to make your first jump?" 
And he said, uh, we were up about 20,000 feet and uh, lost three engines. Uh, that's, what th that's what made me decide to make our first jump. Uh, why would you decide for the first time to rely on that parachute? Utter desperation. And Christ helps those who are in desperate situations. Thirdly, Christ helps those who are, humanly speaking, the least likely to understand the instructions on how to get help. Let's say you're downtown Panama City and some tourist comes into town vacationing and they say, how do we get to Captain Anderson's? And you say, you just go over to the beach, hang a left and you can't miss the signs. Right? Simple enough. Well, I mean, I remember when I first moved to town, people talked about the beach, you know, and I thought there's that strip of white sand, you know, there's the beach. And uh, that's what most people think, but no, the beach is anything past the Hathaway, if you're visiting with us today, the beach is anything on the other side of the Hathaway Bridge. And so um, if you're from here, you get it, right? You understand the instructions. If you're not, not so much. And what we've already learned in the Gospel of Mark, uh, the, very, the very people that should be getting what Jesus is saying do not get what Jesus is saying. Okay, first of all, let's just look at the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And this was, we, we looked at this back in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and following. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to, or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Simple enough question to people who are well-versed in the law, right? And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What about the disciples? The disciples were around Jesus night and day. We've already talked about the various times which the disciples just did not get it. And that was last week in that short graphic parable, Mark 17, uh, 7.15. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so dense? That's my translation. You know, are you so dumb? You don't get it? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? The people that should get it don't get it. And we find that the Syrophoenician woman, who by all rights should not get it, gets it. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and she said, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Sounds to me like an insult, right? You know, how would you, I would say, my, my hope would be Jesus would say, okay, you know, that's good enough. That's a good enough response. He says, eh, we got to let the uh, children have it first. It's not right to throw it to the dogs. Well, she understands that hidden in that phrase is a hope. She gets the parable. 
Now, biblical scholars will look at this passage and many will try to downplay the harshness of it. And and they'll rightly say that the word here in the Greek translated dogs is a very unusual word. It's only used here in Mark and again in the parallel passage in Matthew. It's in the diminutive, which means it's something like this, little dogs, right? So that's not the normal word. That means those mongrels that hang out in the street that the people hated, that were disgusting, that were mean, that were dangerous, that were smelly. Um, I remember I had one uh, teacher tell me, well, what Jesus is saying is he's calling, calling her a little pet puppy dog. I'm like, well, okay, there's something going on here, but I still think if you were to hear it, you would take it as a little bit of an insult, right? Something is going on in the text. And so what is going on? He's saying that, yes, in some of your households, you would expect to find little dogs And those little dogs might be around the table. By not using the word that the Jews would use regularly for Gentiles, dogs, instead substituting the word little dogs and saying that this first must be given to the children, she looks up at him and she realizes what he's saying. And so she says, well, yes, the priority is on your people. But even the little dogs sitting around the table, they get, they get the food next, right? He says, you get it, absolutely. For this response of faith, your daughter has been healed. She went home and found the child lying in bed, the demon gone. Now, why is it that she understood? Was she just so much more intelligent than all of the Pharisees? And all the disciples, Jesus came to um, his disciples, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And he said, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Bingo, you get it. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? Because you're so intelligent. You're so smart. After all this time with me, you're finally getting it, you dense disciples. No. He says this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Naturally, she was without hope and without God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Remember that you were at, the time, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And so let me ask you today, as you sit here listening to this sermon, this account given by Uh, the gospel of Mark about who Jesus is and who we are in light of this? Do you consider yourself to be the least entitled, the least likely to expect Jesus' help? Do you consider yourself to be the least able to help yourself? Do you consider yourself to be the least likely to understand Jesus' words in the Bible? Maybe you're not learned enough. Maybe you're not religious enough. Maybe you've come to church today in desperation. God the Father 
has revealed to you in our text today that Jesus is your helper and your Savior. So see it and embrace it. Embrace Jesus as your Savior by faith. And this is true whether it's the first time you've come to this realization or you've come to this realization afresh. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this. He said, Jesus can help you with your physical needs, your financial needs, your emotional needs, your health needs, your social needs. Call out to him for help. Learning to pray when there's an emergency or when something is frightening us requires a lot of discipline. Instead of praying, we tend to torture ourselves with anxiety and worry. All we can think about is trying to get rid of the problem. The devil often tricks us when temptation or suffering first begins, whether we're dealing with spiritual or physical matters, he immediately barges in and makes us so upset about the problem that we become consumed by it. In this way, he tears us away from praying. He makes us so confused that we don't even think about praying. When we finally begin to pray, we've already tortured ourselves half to death. The devil knows what prayer can accomplish. That's why he creates so many obstacles and makes it so inconvenient for us that we never get around to prayer. We should get into the habit of falling on our knees, spreading out our needs in front of God the moment we have an emergency or become frightened. Prayer is the very best medicine there is. Yes, God will meet your temporal needs, but he'll also meet your deepest needs, your spiritual needs, your need for forgiveness. As we've all sinned, as we all deserve the just punishment from God because of our sins, we will avoid judgment and instead become made part of God's forever family, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. If we understand humbly coming to him, realizing our need, that we're completely helpless, but he is there to save. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, there if anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So the Syrophoenician woman, she has confidence in Christ because she believes that he has the power and the authority and the willingness to save and help her in her desperation. And so as we look at the second account, we see in no uncertain terms that we should have confidence that Christ is both willing and able to help us. Jesus Christ is supremely good and supremely able. So it says here that he um, returned from the region, this is verse 31, and went through Sidon the, uh, to, to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. We've already looked at the Decapolis, those are the ten cities Uh, north and a little bit to the east of Galilee, uh, roughly in the area of um, Jordan and Syria today, 10 different cities. In fact, Damascus was one of those cities. It's Damascus in Syria is in the news today. And again, a predominantly Gentile area. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetah, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. 
Again, what we have in our text is we have a very sort of pivotal, interesting word in the Greek, uh, the language that the New Testament that was written in, and it has to do with um, the speech impediment. It's a very unusual word. And in fact, it's used in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in the, uh, the Greek translation of it. And we find here that Mark, in no uncertain terms, is saying that Jesus, in doing this act, is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. The Christ has come. Listen to Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute, that's the word, same word, sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Back to Mark seven thirty-five. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And the prophets of the Old Testament talked about what would happen when the Messiah came, what would happen when Christ came, what it would be like that creation would be re- redone, recreated, sin, death, destruction would be no more. Our hearts would be set on only what was right and good. Something radical would happen, and Jesus has come in fulfillment of that. Mark seven thirty-six and 37, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let me give you a little bit of the context of this prophecy in Isaiah to see how, why they were so excited that the one had come who would fulfill this prophecy. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm, feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there. No ravenous beast shall come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee. Such is the prophecy of what will happen when the Christ comes. So John the Baptist came to to Jesus through his emissaries while he was in jail. And he said, are you the one? Are you the Christ or is there another? And Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. You see, Christ has come. Christ has come to help the helpless, like you and like me. Now, people in the day of Jesus thought that meant that he was going to kick the Romans out and set up an earthly kingdom. 
And God's plans are much greater than that. It's a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus came to inaugurate that and to accomplish that in his perfect life and in his death. And one day he will return. And in the meantime, we know he is with us. We can call on him in our helplessness. We can call on him in our need, in our desperate need. And he will hear our cries and he cares about us and he is able And one day we'll go home to be with him like Angela and Manning did this past week and be with the Lord forever. And one day the Lord will return and all of us will be together with the Lord, those who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who acknowledge their helplessness, who acknowledge their spiritual need, who acknowledge that they cannot help themselves before God. Luis Palau, uh, the late evangelist, gave this account. When Mikhail Gorbachev came to power, local Russian officials reopened an old Orthodox church building in what was then still Leningrad and turned it over to a Baptist pastor and his congregation. The ornate beauty of the church had long since been obliterated. Only the shell remained. And one day while working to fix up the inside of the church with a crew of Siberian men, the pastor was interrupted by a man off the street Is the priest here, he asked. Yes, I'm the priest. There isn't a word in Russian for pastor. There are four young ladies outside who want to talk to you, but they refuse to come in. All right, I'll go out. So he walked out to the street where the young women women stood waiting, but when he stretched out his hand to greet them, they all refused the gesture. Why won't you shake my hand? We are not worthy to shake your hand. We are all prostitutes. And the reason we want to talk to you is to find out if God will ever forgive us for what we've done. Of course he'll forgive you, the pastor said. He took out his Bible, he opened it, he told them about the death of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ that cleanses from all sins. Will he forgive us right now, they asked. Yes, right now. So there on the sidewalk, excuse me, there on the sidewalk, the four women prayed with him to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And when they finished, one of them asked, are we forgiven now? Yes, said the pastor. You see, the Bible says that your sins and evil deeds I will remember no more. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. So you are forgiven. Before this, the women wouldn't even shake the pastor's hand. Now they embraced him and asked, may we come into your church? There wasn't much to see, but the pastor gave each woman a Bible and explained more about what it means to experience God's forgiveness and receive a new life in Christ. See, God helps those who realize their helplessness, and they have confidence that Christ does all things well and will save them if they'll only reach out to him in faith.